Hey, uh, good to have you here. Welcome to Rock Bible Church. We are a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We are compelling ourselves and others to Christ. All right, very nice. Good deal. At some point, we'll get the youth in the balcony to start repeating it, too. But they're, they're great. Isn't it great having kids in church? So great. So great. We are, uh, we are very fortunate to have a student ministry and a children's ministry because uh, it wasn't always true. And so we need to take, uh, take special stock of that and enjoy it and pray for uh, Brent, Giuseppe, and all those that help run it. So, hey, uh, students, we're going to go ahead and dismiss you, let you go off to uh, high school and middle school ministry right out here in the fellowship hall down the hall. Enjoy yourselves. You got the ushers coming forward right now with bulletins uh, and outlines, uh, Bibles, pens. If you want to follow along, if you need any of that stuff, just get their attention, wave at them. Uh, they also have prayer request cards if you have something you'd like us to pray for or something you would like us to thank God for because He already answered it. And uh, you can fill those out, drop them in the offering plate at the end, and then uh, our staff and our prayer team would love to pray for you. Uh, and then if you'd like, you just want to pray live with somebody, face-to-face, hear their voice, the whole thing. Uh, after service today, come on up in front of the stage. Uh, I'll be up there. Some of, some of the rest of us, uh, some of our prayer team will be up here. We'd love to pray with you live uh, if that's what you um, prefer. So uh, so there you go. Hey, tomorrow night, uh, a big, big event on TV. And I want to make sure you guys are uh, informed and Pick a side and, uh, you know, root however you want. We won't tell you who to root for, but we just think that uh, Monday Night Football is, is an important thing. <laughs> and, um, and you should really pick a team. Uh, so uh, that's the whole thing. Uh, is there something else going on tomorrow night on, on TV? Hmm. Um, there you go. Hey, uh, we started a series uh, last week, 2 Corinthians. Uh, we go through a book, chapter at a time. That's kind of our tradition. Uh, and so we started a new book last week, and it's on the website already. Uh, the new website, by the way, kind of fun. In fact, if you look at your outline right now, uh, the, the front, the program, at the very bottom, there's a big picture. You know, it's like the, uh, what's it called? Half Dome, Yosemite, the whole thing. Uh, part of the reason that's on there is not just for your visual pleasure right now, but so that you recognize the website when you go to it, because that's what it looks like. Uh, so we used to have kind of a darker tone to it and some other things. Now it's this big picture of uh, Yosemite and whatnot, uh, and we're revamping all the different pages and whatnot. So uh, you can go there and start to get used to uh, the new website, find the calendar on there and all that kind of stuff. And so... Uh, uh, and thank you to Emily for working on that uh, so much. Uh, but we started a new new series. Uh, Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, a church that he helped start. Uh, and he's visited them several times. And like any new church or new, any uh, young organization uh, that has people involved in it, um, they're trying to figure out how to make things work, make ends meet, get along with everybody, play nice in the sandbox. Uh, and, and you know church people. Right, they, you know, they have opinions. They get difficult with one another. The whole thing, and and, and Paul's gone back a few times to kind of straighten them out, get in their face a little bit, if you will. 
uh, he decides that he's going to visit him another time and tells him, hey, I'm, gonna come, I'm coming to see you. Uh, but something happens and he can't go, so he writes him a letter anyways. They're a little frustrated. In fact, uh, somebody gets on his case. He has some kind of conflict with someone. Paul doesn't name who it is and he doesn't name what the violation was. But somebody did something to Paul to where it didn't go well. And then Paul writes a letter and says, hey, here's how we need to deal with this. Uh, this is the leader of a church. Instead of showing up, you know, he writes a letter. And they're kind of like, well, wait a minute. It's like going to the concert and you show up and the concert's canceled. But they say, but you can have this CD. Enjoy it on, the, on your ride home. It's like, no, I wanted the stage and the stadium and the people and, you know, people all holding up their cell phones and making colors, you know, lights and the whole, I wanted the full experience. CD's not quite the same. Uh, and, and Paul's going to say, well, you know, that's not really the important thing. The important thing is how are we developing as a church? Uh, and so you're going to deal with the letter instead of the visit. And let me explain why. Uh, so I kind of like this because it's not just your happy, fun story where everybody gets along and, and happily ever after and they ride off into the sunset. You know, I've seen a lot of suns. I never get to ride off into them. I, I, I live in a real world where people don't get along and they get frustrated and, you know, and then somebody shoots an email and it blows up and now, you know, whatever. Uh, and here Paul deals with it. One of the things we like about Paul is he deals with the big issues. What are the real important overarching general statements about God and about us. But the other thing that we like about Paul is he brings it down to the first floor, uh, bottom shelf, and says, no, this is how you do it. Here's some specifics. And I, I don't know about you, but that's what I need. Sometimes I need it spelled out for me. What exactly are you saying I should do? And Paul does that. He's going to do this uh, here in chapter 2 as well. Before we jump in, uh, and Paul starts explaining why he didn't come, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the break in the week, the break in the day, uh, the break from distractions, and Lord, uh, maybe more importantly, just the break from ourselves and who we've been and who we're being and, and the opportunity to reaffirm who we are and what you called us to. So I pray, Lord, as we go through your word, uh, that we would understand uh, what, what God's trying to say to us this morning. Uh, what you're trying to explain uh, through Paul. And then, Lord, uh, may we take that and, and walk out of here uh, headed in, in a closer direction to where you are and where you called us. So we pray, Lord, that that would be the use of our time. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. For I made up my mind not to make another... What kind of visit? Yeah, he's having a hard time because church isn't always easy. The last visit he made was painful. He says, I'm not, I decided not to make another painful visit. Why? Because he's in conflict. Somebody's kind of come after him. And again, we don't know who it is or what. Uh, but we, what we know, too, is that Paul's actually written four letters. We're not sure if this is letter three or four. It's most likely not letter number two. But we call it letter number two because we only got two of them. Uh, so there's more to the story. And... I kind of like that God worked it out that we skip most of the story uh, because Paul and the letters that we have mostly focus on how do we move forward, how do we make it better, rather than how do we point fingers and who fault, whose fault is it and how should we split the church. Uh, he doesn't get into any of that. He says, I didn't, I didn't come again for a reason. I made up my mind. Uh, verse 2, for if I cause you pain... 
Who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? He said, I got, I got to make it right with the one. If I've caused a problem for somebody, I got to make it right with that person. And only they can make it right with me because they're the ones that I've wronged. And watch what he says. Uh, uh, and I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. Uh, I wrote to try and mend this, fix this so that whoever's in conflict with him is over it and says we're over it and we all are copacetic. We're all good. Uh, he says, he's saying, that's why I wrote the letter. Uh, verse four, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. He's saying, I was supposed to come to you and I'm writing to you. I'm really upset about it myself. I wish I could have come to you, but I'm writing to you saying, yeah, I didn't come, but I do love you. I do care about you. I haven't given up on you. I'll probably visit you again. I'll at least write you more letters. Uh, but this relationship isn't over. I just couldn't make it out there this time. Verse five. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he caused it to he caused it not to me. Okay, so he's he's contradicting uh, what the, the general first reaction of most people in the church is going to be. Somebody did Paul wrong. And Paul's saying, well, yeah, maybe if they did something wrong, it wasn't to me, which wouldn't make sense to them. Watch what he says, why he's going to clarify this. He, He caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. He's saying, this guy came after me, but really the pain that he has caused, the problem that he has caused is with who? The church. Everybody, right? Uh, you know, when, when somebody uh, causes trouble, makes a stink, you know, they're in line at the place and they order and it doesn't come out and then they start getting loud. Right? You ever been there? I know it wasn't you. I know it wasn't you. But you've been there. What happens to the room? What happens to the store, the restaurant, whatever? Everybody backs off, get their facial exchange, facial expressions change and they, it gets awkward right? It affects everyone. So although this person has wronged Paul, Paul's saying, let's, let's, let, let's not be ignorant about this. Let's notice that it's affecting the whole of the church because now everybody's talking about it, right? Because anything happens in church, everybody talks about it. That's just the way it is, right? So it's really affecting all of you. Verse six, for such a one, such a one as in this person who's caused the trouble in the first place, This punishment by the majority is enough. He's saying, you know, when when you're in a crowd and somebody does something against another person, it's not really just between those two people because the whole crowd witnesses and it affects everyone. When that loud lady ordering that thing that didn't come the way she wanted it and she got loud, when she finally comes to her senses and looks around, what does she see? Shock and awe. Right? Everybody's just like, nobody wants to talk to her. No eye, eye contact, the whole thing. And she's immediately shunned, kind of. Or somebody gets angry enough that they see something to her. That's when it really gets ugly. right? And it escalates. She or he, whoever it is, is kind of in trouble with the whole group now. And they really, don't, they really need not be told, hey, you, you did something wrong. You were inappropriate. 
Why were you so loud? You, they don't need any of those speeches. Why? Because they already, they already know. And Paul's saying, you know, most people, when they do something wrong, just give it a second. Hold your breath for a minute. They'll figure it out. And, and the response of the whole of the church or the crowd is enough, let alone maybe too much for them. Uh, you, you ever been involved in an organization, somebody does something wrong, and then all of a sudden they're gone? They don't come back. Or what's that about? Do people want them there? Probably. Nobody likes to lose people. Well, why don't they come back? Shame. Frustration. Guilt. Whatever it is. Paul says, know this. We don't have to go after those people to get them. We have to go after those people to get them. Bring them back. Watch what he says. Uh, For such one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather... Turn to what? Forgive and comfort him. Or he, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. The frustration of figuring out that he's in a bad place, he did something wrong to Paul, uh, it's going to alienate him. Why don't you guys as a church, why don't you own him? Invest in him, chase after, grab him, pull him back in. Now, does that always work? No. Never does it always work. Wait, wait, it's just too many overarching statements there, Scott. You're confusing me. Uh, look, life happens. Some people can't get over their guilt or they got too big an ego or they're too frustrated or they're angry or who knows. Emotions get high, the brain goes out the window and it's over. And they're unwilling to make the effort. But as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Did I make that up? No, I stole it. All my best stuff I stole, right? <laughs> Bible tells us, so as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Hey, if somebody makes a mistake, recognize it as a mistake. If somebody asks you, was that a mistake? Was that wrong? Say yes, it was a mistake. It was wrong. But then chase after them. Draw them back in. Best you can. Right? Uh, Because that's what they need. They might experience sorrow. So I beg you to execute him. Is that what it says? Now it says, reaffirm him with your love. That, that's so backwards. It's so contrary. It's like somebody goes after somebody and, hey, he went after my friend. Let's get him. Where's the Louisville slugger? Right? We want to go make it right through violence or frustration. Or we're going to, I'm going to tell, I'll show them. I'm going to post something. Guys, don't post anything ever. It's a great rule. It's just totally safe. Right? That's your first inclination. The, the, Paul, Paul's instruction, I, I, he believes, and I believe, from the heart of God is, instead of going after him, why don't you reaffirm him? That you have love for them. You know, reaffirm. Let's look at that for just a second. Because I, you know, I get weird on words in Scripture sometimes. And, I know, and you're over it, right? You're okay with it. Reaffirm. We're going to re... Re means what? We're going to... A do-over. All right. We're using kindergarten language. Now I understand. We're going we're to do-over, affirm. What's affirm short for? Affirmation. affirmation. Somebody violates a bunch of stuff. They need affirmation again. That they do belong there. That they aren't totally crazy. Just sometimes when they act out. Right? And that that's Okay. And that everybody else does it too. 
And that they got to come back. So you should get to come back. What, what were we trying to do? Keep them in the fold. Keep them in the family. Care about them. That's what we're trying to do. This is funny uh, because uh, the guy came after Paul. Is Paul going after the guy? Who's he going after? He's going after the church. Watch. He does it some more in a bit here. Right? Uh, comfort him. So I affirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote. This is why I wrote. I couldn't come to you, but I wrote to you this. Here's why. Because there was a problem. That I might test who? Go back. once. Test who? You. You. Not that guy. That I might test you, the church, for how you as a church are handling the guy that's out of line. And how does he say to handle him? Forgive, comfort, love, re, re, uh, reaffirm, right? Affirmation. Uh, and know whether you are obedient in everything, where, whether who's obedient. Has that guy straightened up his act? Is he being obedient in everything now? Is that what he's asking? No, he's asking if you as the church, hey, you guys want to point your, fo- your finger at Fred because he's out of line. He went after Paul. But here's what I want to know. How about you, church? Are you doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing? Like, namely, are you taking care of that guy? Yeah. There was probably nothing wrong with Paul. Think about this. This is a guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament as far as number of books. He was probably doing pretty well. Is that a safe bet? He's doing pretty well. So why did the dude go after him? Who had the problem? Paul? The dude. That's all we, that's all we can call him. Paul never names him. Dude had a problem. Do you know when people freak out? It wasn't that the sandwich shop had a problem. It was the lady who was screaming and yelling at him. She's the one with the problem. Right? So let's recognize just because somebody says something about somebody doesn't mean the statement is true. It means the person making the statement might have a problem. Let's address the real issue. And Paul's saying, let's deal with the person that's hurting or twisted or mixed up or confused or frustrated or whatever, name it. Let's work on that, he says. By the way, church, how are you doing with him? Not how is he doing with you? Very different perspective. It's counterculture for us, at least for sure. Right? Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. What, what, what's with all this forgiveness stuff? Why? Because if the guy did something wrong against Paul, then who should be forgiving the guy? Paul, we would think. And Paul says, hey, I'm going to go with what you decide. Your job is to forgive him. Are you going to forgive him? Because if you're going to forgive him, then I'm going to forgive him. Notice that now the value of the whole and the we is more important than what they did. You see that? Here's the guy who should be offering the forgiveness saying, no, I think it should be the church that forgives them. And I'm going to jump in in the whole of the church and forgiving them because that's what we are going to do. He's including everybody in the process rather than it just being between Paul and that guy. He says, no, we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about we. 
indeed. Verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by who? For we are not ignorant of his designs. Uh, do, do you know, I, I don't know if you r- realize this, uh, Satan's really not talked about very much in the Bible. He comes up once in a while, once in a blue moon. But, you know, with as much as we're asphyxiated with him and think about him and we got all these cartoons about him and all this kind of stuff. And uh, if you actually read uh, a suggestion from your pastor, ready? Read the Bible. <laughs> Whole thing. Count how many times Satan shows up. Might get to 10. You might, you, you might be able to count it on two hands. He's really not around very much. But he does show up here. Okay. Uh, cracks me up when people, you know, Satan's really tempting me. Mm, I don't know, because I don't think he's around very much. And really, I, I mean, I hate to say this, but I don't think he's worried about you. Not to diminish you or anything, but I think he's got bigger fish to fry. Well, yeah, but I'm under all this oppression. No, you just have a decision to make. If Satan shows up and, and Paul says, hey, you know, uh, Satan has a plan here. They want to play into the plan. But know this, that's all Satan has. All he has is a plan. Who makes the decision? We do. Paul says, yeah, Satan has a plan. You can play into that plan. And here's, here's the problem. Know that it happens very subtly and very easily. Because a guy did me wrong and you started to talk about him. We start to talk about them. And that's the problem. Because we should be talking about us. So that, he says, verse 11, so that we, you say you, it says we. We don't talk about him, we talk about us. And what you need to notice, you notice that the, uh, what happens when we, when we change it from we to them. What, what, what subtly happens right there? We shift in the focus, we take ourselves out, or as they said it in first service, we separate ourselves. We've created a separation. When were we supposed to ever create a separation? You're still looking for that verse, aren't you? It's very subtle. Satan steps in. Oh, man, and he did it with a pronoun. He just did it with a little pronoun. They did something wrong. No, no, we did something wrong. And that we fostered it, we allowed it, we didn't address it, we didn't reaffirm them, we didn't comfort, we didn't forgive, we can solve this. Paul's going we on a bunch of people that say they. (laughs) And that's how easily it happens. Verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord... My spirit was not at rest. Don't change the slide on me yet. Uh, you ever have uh, like questions that people always ask you in your industry? I mean, whatever your industry is, you've got the question, the token question. You're at a party, you're at a reception, you're at a wedding, you're at a sports event, whatever. And you're sitting next to me. Oh, you you work, you do this. Oh, oh, you're a math guy at the school district. Oh, tell me about that, right? And all of a sudden, what's the next question? It has to do with. Math, all right? Ask Don Garner. He works with pets. When he's not at work, what's the question he gets? Hey, my dog was doing this thing. 
Why does he do that, right? Because you get questions about that. As a pastor, you know what the questions you get? No? Become one. You'll figure out what the questions are. It's really easy. No, one of the questions that I get all the time, how do I know the will of God? And that's like a, such a hard question. I'll goof around with it sometimes. I said, well, you find somebody named Will and you ask him if he's following God. That's the will of God. And they laugh at me. Like, oh, stupid, corny, pastor humor. I said, I know. But there's a quota. We have to tell so many bad jokes a week or we, we go to the dark place. Um, no, people ask me, what's the will of God? How do, and, and I'd ask you out loud, like, respond. How, how, how do you know if something is the will of the Lord? Notice, most everything I talk to you about on Sunday mornings come out of the verse that I've just read. What was that, ma'am? No, you were first service. <laughs> Cheater! How do you know? How do you know the will of God? Let's read the verse again. Uh, when I came to trust to preach the gospel of you, even though a door was open for me and the Lord. Um, any guesses on how you know if something might be the Lord's will? You guys are so smart. A door opens. People come to me and say, hey, yeah, I'm trying to figure out the Lord's will for this job. Uh, I don't know if I should do it or not. It's brilliant. Okay, I've come up with this over the years. It took me a long time. You should use it. I say, well, why don't you apply for the job and see what happens? Whoa. Well, well, okay, so I applied and, uh, and they called me in for an interview. Wait, you got a call back? Yeah. So there's a door open for you? Yeah, but I don't know if it's the will of the Lord. Well, maybe he's trying to beat you over the head with the open door. You got a call back. Go take the call back. Go sit in the interview and see. They're going to ask you some questions. Yes, but what's the Lord's will for how I answer those questions? No one knows. Just answer the question. See if the door opens. When the door opens for you to do something, if God is all-powerful and all-controlling and knoweth everything, Why would he open the door or give you softball questions at your interview that you knock out of the park and then give you the opportunity just to have you sit there and go, gee, I wonder if God wants me to do this. You heard the joke about the guy drowning in the ocean, praying, God, will you save me? A guy comes by in the boat. Hey, would you, hey, you need out of the water? No, I'm praying that the Lord will save me. I had two different times. Plane comes by, airplane, uh, helicopter comes by. He tells all three of them, "Oh no, I, I'm I'm waiting for the Lord to save me. I'm praying for Him to save me." He finally drowns and dies. He gets to heaven. God, what happened? I prayed, you never answered. He's like, what are you talking about? I sent you three rescue attempts, and you turn, denied all three. What more did you want me to do? Right? The doors open. We that's how we know the Lord's will. Watch this, though. Paul says the the will of the Lord, the the door was open for him. To do what? What's before the door opening? Before the... Wait a minute. Are you telling me he had the, the Sunday school answer for an open door? Like, somebody asked you, like, what's the purpose in life? Well, probably somewhere in your answer. 
I mean, maybe you're an auto guy and so purpose in your life is to work on cars. But somewhere in your answers that's common with everybody else because not everybody's going to work on cars. But somewhere that's common to everybody else, there's something in there probably about the gospel and making sure other people hear about it. Will of the Lord at some point is for you to get to preach the gospel. And, and pretty much any kid in a Sunday school class or any adult in a Sunday morning service could answer, hey, what's the purpose in life? Preach the gospel. Hey, congratulations. You got it. And here's Paul with an open door to do the Sunday school answer. And he walks. Watch this. My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus, my acquaintance Titus, my co-worker Titus, this guy I know Titus, no, he calls him brother. Not his brother, but he refers to him as brother. Why? We're family. We are family. And although I had an open door to preach the gospel of what everybody knows that's what we're supposed to do as Christians, me, uh, uh, we was missing. One of my close relationships, he was, he's supposed to be there, it wasn't there. I had to go look for him. And the gospel could wait. Oh, really? I thought nothing outweighed the gospel. I thought nothing was more important than the cross. Or maybe we should think about it this way. The cross is about even Titus, your brother in the Lord, who you're supposed to have be in a relationship and working together. When you show up to work and he's not there, maybe you should go figure out why he's not there because someone else can share the gospel if needed and God can do whatever he wants. He doesn't need you to walk through the open door every single time. But if you're the one with the most influence and the closest to Titus, maybe you should go do we as a value. I love when we find little things that that hike relationship up to the top. Friends, family, acquaintances, or somebody you bump in uh, shoulders with for the first time and say, that's more important than did you hit the quota. A quota is a horrible word, right? I mean, really, I'm starting to, I want to throw out all the words that have Q-U in them. It's just horrible, right? Except for when you're playing boggle, but that's a whole different issue. Oh, and never, never, ever play boggle with Julie Bergman. Never, right? She'll, never mind. She's way too good. Uh, so he passes on it to find her. So I took leave of them, went on to Macedonia. Verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ, so he's done the wrong thing. He left. He went to go find Titus. He didn't come to them. He had to write him a letter because he was valuing we over them. And then he tells the church, value we and the guy that even wronged me over yourself. He says, but then knowing all this, but thanks be to God who in Christ, how often? Always. Uh, that was pretty good. It was way better than first service, first attempt. Okay. But beat their last attempt on your second attempt. Ready? How often? Always. Much better. <laughs> but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession is that a promise oh my gosh you went back to first service like it was like 14 seconds ago right ready is that a promise yes okay let's work on this now always is about what in that promise yes it is a promise always is a promise that god will 
in Christ, God who is always in Christ? Is that what the always is about? God is always in Christ. Or is the always about he will always lead us? He always leads us. Or is the always about he always gets to triumphal procession? He always wins. Which of the three? Can't say both this time because there's three. All. Right? Is it a promise? Yes. Is it about all three? Yes. And here's, here's the rough part. Do you believe it? Down in the deep, dark recesses, the hard places, the emotions, the intellect, when it, when it really gets tested, challenged, when the family member's at risk, when your emotions are being violated, when the logic doesn't connect, when the loss, when the, when the potential for loss is, is real, it's probable, and it's catastrophic. Do you believe in always God? Because I tell you what, if, if I thought there was any chance that he wasn't 100% correct on all three aspects of always in that promise, I'm out. I'll beat you to the door and I'll bust the door down and get out of here faster and I'll go do something else. But I have yet to find that to be true. If I wait long enough, if I pray enough, if, if I stick to what I'm supposed to stick to, what I've started to find over uh, too many years, <coughs> he's always God. He's the God of always. And they say into the church, be like always God to the guy that crossed me. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's almost brilliant that he wrote a letter instead of showing up. Writing a letter is clear thought rather than showing up is a little too confrontational. Maybe. Now you know why he wrote a letter because they think through this a little bit and when he shows up next time, he's going to be calmer. Hopefully they'll be doing we by then rather than separation. But thanks be to God because he's always in Christ. He always leads up and he always wins. And how? Through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Wait a minute. We are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. Amen, amen. But we smell like God among those who are what? Perishing? What does that mean? He says to one, it's a fragrance from death to death. To the other, it's a fragrance from life to life. You know, I don't think you can understand this unless you're a Christian. You know, people told me sometimes, many times, you know, the Bible is really a letter written to a specific audience. And if it's not written to you, it kind of won't make sense. 
And I kind of never really was sure if I really bought that. But I do think there are places in the Bible where only Christians get it. Because I think there are times when you're a Christian and you're talking about Christ and you're around other Christians who are thinking about Christ and you're just trying to do the Christ thing, there can be special moments and other people walk in and they see it, they smell it, they hear it and they go, "Uh, weird, I don't get it. Uh, Last song we sang, Oceans. Okay, I always get confused with Oceans Deep, which is a song from the... Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> kind of defines some of my nerdiness. Sorry. Uh, I, words flip for me sometimes. Anyhow, uh, that song is kind of like one of the feature songs in a movie that's out in the theaters right now. It's called Hillsong, uh, Let Hope Rise. Okay, the name right. Uh, went to see it the other night. Uh, took the family, went with a couple other people, and, and, and it's a worship concert, really, in movie form. Uh, is banned out of Australia from a church, and they've over the years have written songs that have gone worldwide. There's a bunch of songs you've sung a bunch of times, and, and you don't even know it. They wrote them. I mean, they're they're huge, and they're doing a. They did a huge concert at the LA Forum, packed the place out all to the nines, uh, loud music, and we're on the big screen, and and they're playing these songs. That Ocean song is one of them, and the girl in the band can't remember her name, which is I know horrible of me. Uh, but she's out in the middle and the place is all dark and she's singing on a microphone and she's praying and the whole thing. And it was, it was a little bit of a moment. I'm, I'm not a emotions EBGB guy too often, but I had a moment in the movie theater. It was, it was cool. People around me are crying. Some of them are singing. Uh, it was pretty quiet and it was just, I just don't think I can explain that to somebody who doesn't believe in the Lord. To care about the Lord and hear somebody sing about caring about the Lord you kind of have to care about the Lord to understand why we're doing that whole thing. And it felt like a from life to life moment when I read this verse. Now, I take some of my buddies from high school and I say, hey, watch this trailer. See this poster? And we're going to walk into this theater and we're going to watch this movie. What are they going to say? I have to pay 13 something bucks for what? What are they talking about? Some of the language uh, phrases we use as Christians, they sit through that and it's like, dude, you're weird. I could hear them saying it right now if I took them in there. Right, because they don't get it. They're, they're not in the Lord. There's a little part of them that's dead and they're headed eventually that direction if we don't get the witness out and start doing we more often to get the message of always God out. And Paul says, don't be confused that different people are going to get the message and different people aren't. That's just the way it is. You can't control who gets it and who doesn't, can you? You ever tried that? Try to control who gets it and who doesn't? Did you, you, were you ever in a phase when you were trying to save everyone? Yeah, that ended quickly, didn't it? But he says, but still be the fragrance. Be the aroma. Somebody, some people will smell it. Some people won't. But still your job to try and proclaim or promote this always God, right? Who is sufficient for these things? If we got a message, some people are going to hear it death to death. Some people are going to hear it life to life. You're going to talk about this always God who always has Christ, who always leads us, who always uh, wins triumphal procession. Who's up to the task, he says. Socratic question. Uh, Sarcastic question probably as well. 
Because what's, what, what's real? I mean, we know our own humanity. Who do you think is sufficient for that task? Paul's asking the question, right? Paul's like the rabbi of rabbis, studied and, and more education. And, you know, he's way high up in the Jewish tradition. And now he's way high up in the Christian tradition. He's like overeducated compared to almost anybody. And now he asks the question, right? Who thinks they can handle this? Who's up to doing that? What's the implication? What's the assumed answer? No one. You're not sufficient to be able to do that, pull that off, right? I'm about to double answer on you, Rich, so watch out because you're right. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. Are we peddlers of God's word? And you're like, heck no, we're not. And, and here's, here's the test. Ready? Have you ever been to the church where it felt like they were peddling God's word? Yeah, how was that? That was painful, wasn't it? Hey, we're just going to do our little thing. Give us money now or whatever. Hey, join us. You know, one of my greatest fears is that anybody would come through that door, spend any kind of time with us and feel like we peddled to them. Tried to sell them something, tried to push something on them. Hey, hey, look, you want the Lord? Absolutely, we'll help you. But I'm not going to make you do anything. I ain't even tell you how to vote. Okay? If you want help picking an NFL franchise, I might have an idea. Okay? Why would I be afraid of us become, becoming peddlers, though? Because I know how insufficient I am and every one of us are. We miss the mark from time to time and we jack it up. We hurt people, we cause pain, and for that, we need help. Paul asked the question, who's sufficient for this? The top of the top is saying, look, none of us are sufficient for this, really. But then watch what he says. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. I love what he does there. He said, are you sufficient or not? No. But you can speak in Christ and become sufficient. Hence the title this morning, Your Sufficiency. Now, I want to point one more thing before we get into the outline. Last two words of what he does right there in that sentence. I love that Paul does this. Probably God does it through Paul. Maybe Paul didn't even know he did it. But earlier I said, is this a promise? You said yes, really loud. I said, which of these three things are a promise? You said all three. You remember what the first one was? God who in Christ always. Paul refers to God as functioning within Christ always. Always, all the time. Then Paul later says, are you sufficient enough? No, is the implication. But he says, you can be if you are like God in the previous verse, 14. Always in Christ. Last verse. Loves that Paul compares us or pairs us with God the Father. When we function in Christ best we can. We speak in Christ. That's what we're up to. Amen?
Love that. Uh, all right, so how do we do it? What's, what's coming out of this? I got uh, three things for you here. Um, and I think the first one comes really in the first seven verses. Paul comes at it a bunch of different ways. But it's just this idea in verse 2, if I cause you pain. Uh, verse 3, you should have made me rejoice. This is idea that um, you cause things. Verse 4, not to cause you pain. Verse 5, if anyone caused pain, he caused it not to me, but to you all. He, he talks about all these different things as if uh, the question is, uh, what do you cause? He's talking to the church. What do you cause? He's not really asking the question, do you cause anything? He says, no, cause will happen. You will cause something. How you act will have an effect. What is the effect that you are having? What are you causing on a regular basis? And the implication is kind of this idea of what have you caused in the past or what are you causing now? But really the most important question is, right? I did past tense. I just did present tense. What's the really important question? What will you cause? What will you be about going forward? You're going to cause something. What are you going to cause? And Paul says there's this opportunity for causing pain and whatnot. But in verse 7, he says, here's what you should cause. This is what we are about. Right? One, we cause we, not they. But then we cause forgiveness. We, we bring comfort, we reaffirm, and then he says, and we obey in everything. What happens when you cause those things? You know what happens? You pass the smell test. The second question is, do you pass the smell test? That's what Paul's saying. Hey, you're a fragrance. You're an aroma, without going back and reading those two verses, uh, 14 and 15. One, the first one, he says, you're a fragrance of the Lord. Da, da. Second one, you says you're an aroma. Like, what's he saying? You smell. And he's saying, what do you smell like? You guys know the smell test. I know nobody wants to admit it. But you do the smell test all the time. In places where people don't see it, when nobody's around. Right? You get in the fridge and then there's that one drawer you haven't been in in a while and you find something in there. Uh, sometimes it doesn't pass the eyeball test. You look at it and you're like, oh yeah, I'm not opening that. Because the Ziploc's see-through or something like that. But every once in a while you got the Tupperware or uh, what's that other one? The Styrofoam, the to-go box from the restaurant. You got the Styrofoam with the, the frosty plastic lid and you can't see inside. And, and there's the big dilemma. Do I open it? Or not. Right? Sometimes you open it, it's like, oh yeah, I remember this. This was from last night. It was amazing. Let's heat it up. I'm gonna have more food. Other times, I don't even know what that looks like. And really, you don't ever get to the look like because the moment you crack the seal, right? Everything in the house starts to rot. The paint starts peeling off the walls, right? It's like Oh, something died in here, right? You can't give it to the trash can fast enough. Some of you, if you're smart, you don't even take it to the trash can under the kitchen sink. You just run it straight outside to the big bin so it stays outside, right? Now, somewhere in between there, there's that middle phase where it kind of looks good, but we're not sure. Enter the smell test, right? 
oh, yeah, I can do that. Or, ooh, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Right? That's the smell test. Right? And, and I, don't, I don't know if the, I, this might just be a Berglund thing, but it seems like when something fails the smell test, and usually it's only when it fails it like catastrophically, like makes you hurl or get sick. Uh, apparently the second response is, oh, I got to take it to somebody else. Hey, smell this. <laughs> right? So that we can have puke in two side parts of the house. This is where smell test comes from. The other place the smell test comes from is uh, you haven't done the laundry in a little while. And so you, re- you reach into the what clothes? Which should be a sign or a hint. But you reach into the dirty clothes and you pull it out. And, and what? Now, see, here's the problem. God's given me a lot of things. One of them is he gave me the worst, worst nose on the planet. Right? So, so at my house, and I forgot to tell first service this. If I reach into the dirty clothes and I, I can't tell. Right? Worst nose on the planet. So I give it to somebody else. Here, can you smell? Is this, is it? So I have other people do the smell test. Right? There's this idea that uh, there, there's a smell test that goes on for you as a Christian. That when you start to do things, when you start to do things as a Christian, it creates an aroma. And after a while, if you give it some time, you blow it a little, uh, that aroma, that one sprayed a little, uh, that smell is going to get around. Right? You smell that? I smell that You've been smelling it all through because it's sitting right here. It's like, you can't get away from it. You know, really, that, that's a great analogy. As Christians, we're supposed to smell to the point where they can't get away from it. Good job, right? Uh, my son, the other day, uh, I was driving, and we had a, uh, one of these, and uh, he's sitting next to me. He said, hey, can you peel that? I'm driving. I can't, so you peel it, and we're on the way to school. I drop him off. Uh, I was trying to get him to eat something before he gets out of the car with her because, you know, teenage boy, and they don't think. Um. <laughs> so he peels this whole thing, goes off to school. I finish it. You know, the day goes on. He goes to class, does an experiment, eats lunch, goes to culinary class. At the end of the day, I go and pick him up. We're driving home. He's like, Dad. It was the weirdest thing. I did an experiment. I had lunch. We did culinary class. I washed my hands. I, I still smell like grapefruit. Right? It's this idea, you know, Paul gets at this thing where uh, we're supposed to constantly smell like him. Like grapefruit. No. <laughs> right? So do you pass the smell test? Uh and, and then here's, here, so what? I mean, if, if we're going to cause something, we're supposed to cause those four things and we're going to pass the smell test where people look at us and see our life and go, hey, I'm, I'm going to think about this God thing, then so what? Here's what. Here's what you do. Insufficiently speak Christ. You know, the last set of verses, 16 and 17, it says, hey, uh, who's sufficient for these things? And he goes down and says that we're not peddlers of God's words, but in, like we're commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak Christ. And the implication is, yeah, you're going to be insufficient and you won't do it very well. You're going to cut off the wrong thing. You're going to sell the thing too early. You're going to buy the wrong product. You're going to say the wrong word. At times you're going to mess things up, but we talk about Christ anyways. You see, there's, there's this weird thing that I experience from time to time as a pastor. People come to me and they say, and I hate this, I wish it would go away. I say, you know, I had this opportunity. It was great. But, comma, I don't know as much as you. I'm not a pastor. I don't know enough verses. I wasn't sure what to say. 
So I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't invite him. There was nothing. I knew I was basically what they're saying. I knew I was insufficient, so I didn't try. Ah, really? We can't do that. I know you're insufficient. You know, you know, I coach soccer, right? Every single player that I put on the field, insufficient. Every single one. They're either insufficient at defense or they're insufficient at offense. They're either insufficient at shooting or they're insufficient at trapping or they're insufficient at running or they're insufficient in height or speed, speed challenged, whatever, however you want to say it. They're always inefficient in something, right? Are you inefficient in something? Yeah. Uh, so what am I looking for? Am I looking for sufficiency or am I looking for effort? And here's, here's, here's a, I mean, if you, if you don't get anything, get this part. And the promise is this, is verse 14, it's the top of your outline. Okay, look at the top of your outline, here it goes. Through us. There's that little word. God's got this always promise. And it's through us. That three part always promise He qualifies by saying he does it through us. Insufficient as we are. Through us. Are you good parents, by the way? Are you good parents? Brothers, are you good children? Are you good work? No. No, no, no. You're horrible. You miss things. You make mistakes. The whole thing. Put the the decimal point in the wrong place, and oh man, you just jacked it up by a a multiple of 10. That's going to happen from time to time. But did you try? They gotta employ somebody. They gotta call somebody dad. They gotta call somebody son, whatever. Try. Because it's the through us that matters. It's the through us that brings value to we. It's what gets the smell across. Amen. Lord, thank you. That, uh, that we get to be part of the process and that uh, we need to learn how to forgive people and comfort and you give us that opportunity so that we can draw people in and be in good relationship. Lord, help us to avoid separation and conflict and those kind of things, but come to a place where we're, uh, we're promoting those three always promises. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be those things. If you're here this morning, you've never, you never accepted the Lord. You never decided that you, you want to be part of that always from now on. You could say it that way in a prayer to God right now. That's your design. It's what you're meant for. You say, God, I want in your always from this day forward. I accept your son, what he did on the cross, his resurrection, the forgiveness of my sins, his ascension and lordship in my life. Always from now on. If that's your prayer, we want to help you. Raise your hand, get eye contact with me, come talk to me after, however you want to do it. But let us know that that's your decision that you made so that we can help you. And then, Father, we thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. Pray, Lord, you would bless it. Help us to be always church, a we church. And then we pray, Lord, for those who are guests or visiting that they feel no obligation to give but recognize what we do as a family. Praise in your son's name. Amen.